You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. takes me a little longer to set up because I refuse to use technology like like Brandon will. Um, um, it is the first weekend of December. That's crazy to say because yesterday I was in shorts and a t-shirt and I was watching the World Cup and somehow it's the first weekend of December, which doesn't make sense, but here we are. And what that means is that We are also here in our second week of the Advent season. Um, The fact that it is Advent right now is crazy to me, and it makes me um, think of when I first graduated from college, and Christmas would come around, and it would come and it would go, and I'd be like, it just doesn't feel like the holidays. It doesn't feel like the holiday season. And the next year it would come around, it would come and it would go, and I'd be like, what? It just, when did Christmas happen? Like, it doesn't feel like it. And then it dawned on me that I've had my whole life these adults curating a holiday experience for me, and I didn't have that anymore. And so when you're a kid, you have your parents, they're you know, decorate the house, and they do all these traditions that, like, trigger your mind into the fact that it is Christmas, and that's what's happening. And then you go to college, and if you're in college, you probably have similar things. You have RAs that are like, please come to my event, and we all have hot chocolate, and, you know, you have different socials, and then you have time off and stuff like that, and then you leave it, and it's kind of easy to just really move through the holiday season, especially in Houston. It looks the same as it's looked since August. Like, I I preached in August, looks the same. And so it's just kind of easy for it to move past you like that. And so I've tried so much harder in the past couple of years to be intentional about, like, putting up decorations and curating that experience for myself. Like, I put Christmas music on. I have like four candles lit all the time. I have all these like tea lights and little vases around the house to turn on to make it feel like Christmas. Kendrick gets driven crazy because at night we have to turn off like 24 tea lights <laughs> because I wanted a Christmas vibe, right? Because if not, I'm wearing I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt and it's hot. And I'm, you know, take my Ecobee out app and I'm cranking the AC down, right? So all that to be said, In starting to do that, I feel like I've entered back into, oh yeah, it's Christmas. It's the holiday season again. And I think that is the same goal that we have in Advent, in this uh, part of our, our Christian calendar. It's this four weeks where we are intentionally trying to focus our minds, 
focus our worship services, our sermons, our songs on the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ is always true. It's always happened. But there's a specific time of the year where we're trying to be intentional to celebrate it. And so we do these things such as preach from specific texts about specific um, themes like we're going to do this morning, like we did last morning, in order to curate some sort of experience for us that recognizes um, the birth of Christ that is, that is coming, that we are to celebrate soon. Because if not, it can just go right by us. Um, last weekend, Brandon started this, this Advent series, and he started it with, he used this imagery that has really stuck with me over the past, over the past week. He talked about Creation being this closed system, um, I, I did take thermodynamics in college. I was a woman in STEM, um, and I did get a C. So <laughs> I both know something and also don't know much about thermodynamics. But to get a C, I did have to know what a closed system was. So the whole premise of this system is that energy can get in, energy can get out, but matter can't enter or exit, right? So the actual system itself, the matter is not changed. There's no material change in a closed system, no matter the energy that is exerted on it or taken out of it, okay? That's all I got, but that is what it is. Um, and that's this really cool picture where Brandon has presented our creation as this closed system where quite literally right outside of the system, Jesus is knocking on the door ready to break it open and cause that material change that cannot happen inside that system itself without outside intervention. And so here we are now um, in Advent recognizing that Jesus came, knocked on the door, cracked open the system. And so now we're in this place where Jesus is um, there to material, materially change, like change the actual matter of what is inside that system. It's an awesome imagery. I've been thinking about it throughout the whole week. Um, and so what we did last week was think so much about the fact that the incarnation is now. The incarnation is happening like now. There's nowness to it. Um, the, the material world that we live in, in this moment, can change because of that incarnation, because of Jesus' presence here and now. Today, what we're gonna move into is talking about not only is the fact, or not only the fact that the incarnation is now, but also the incarnation is the future. There's a very real futureness to Advent and to the incarnation. In these four weeks of Advent, we recognize that at one point in time in history, there was waiting, and there was darkness, and there was stillness that was all building up and leading to God being birthed in, in human flesh into this world. Mary was pregnant. She had a gestation period, and there was time where there was waiting and waiting until this birth of God into the world. So, so we are recognizing that Advent is this waiting for something to come. And so while we recognize that it's a thing that has happened, we also recognize that right now, we too, in our Christian lives, 
just like our faith ancestors are waiting. We too are, are waiting for this arrival of Christ in flesh. We too are united with Mary in, in her waiting and in this gestation period for this in flesh birth of God into this world that is to come. So that's what we're talking about this morning. The incarnation is both now, like we spoke about last week, but the incarnation is also to come. And right now we're in the meantime and we are waiting and Advent draws us into and reminds us of the fact that we're waiting for the future. We're waiting for this future incarnation as well. Um, during the Christmas um, season, just naturally, we, I think, experience that feeling of waiting. I think we have a really good awareness of things that are happening in the future and us waiting for those things during the holiday season, just naturally. As a kid, I was, I mean, I got so excited for Christmas. I was horrible at sleeping the night before. I was up at, you know, I, I don't think I slept much. I was probably up at like five, but then, you know, you sit until you're like, is it an appropriate time for me to go downstairs yet? And I would go downstairs and my older brother was the same way. And so he would already be up and we would just be waiting because we're just like so excited. I, I remember we had a little, a little green tree with numbers on it. And every day I was like, I'm going to take that number down. And you could ask me, you could pop quiz me any, any point in time on any day in December. I could tell you how many days were left for Christmas because I was like excited and I was waiting. And there's that real feeling of just like, waiting for something big to happen that I remember experiencing as a kid during this time. And as an adult, it might not be that exact same way. Like I said, we probably don't maybe have adults who are curating that experience for us anymore. But I think there's other things that we are waiting on um, it, just during the holiday season as well. I am a teacher, and so I am waiting for my holiday break. I'm waiting. Um, if you're a parent, you might not be waiting for the break. I'm waiting for the break. <laughs> um, you might have time off work, even if you're not a teacher. Maybe you're waiting for the extra couple of days here or there where you get to take work off and not take PTO, maybe. Maybe you're waiting for a family gathering. Family who you haven't seen in a long time is coming in. Maybe you're hosting it. Maybe that's a lot for you to do. So it's this big thing that's to come, and you are currently waiting for this thing. Maybe you're traveling. Maybe there's a present you really want to give, or maybe there's one you want to get, and you're just, like, waiting. I think there's this implicit sense of waiting during this holiday season because our routine is a little different. Things look different. And so because of that, there's maybe something in this future that we're all looking at preparing for and waiting on. And it is not often that our natural holiday calendar stirs within us something that is very spiritually appropriate for what Advent is trying to do in us. But this is an instance where it is. Um, so often, the holiday season is wanting to drive in us consumerism and materialism and greed and overconsumption, escapism. We have our highest rates of depression and anxiety and suicide during this time, right? There are so many times where this holiday season does not drive in us the goal of what um, our Christian calendar is trying to do for us. This is an instance where it is. The holiday season, I think, is pulling us into naturally feeling this sense of waiting. And that's precisely what Advent is wanting us to do as well. 
This is a privilege that we have of getting to already feel exactly like what we're being told to be drawn into. When we feel that sense of waiting and longing, and when the time feels like it is just like crawling for whatever that thing is to come, but you also kind of feel excited for it, like that emotion, that feeling is a gift because it is exactly what we are to feel right now as we await the birth of Christ that we celebrate. It's exactly what Mary felt. And it is also exactly what we are to feel as Christians in our Christian life in general. Um, the concept of waiting, specifically waiting for this coming of Christ, is just littered throughout the New Testament. I mean, it's really what the whole arc of the New Testament is pointing towards, is that, hey, Christ is coming. He's coming back. and He's coming in flesh. Um, here's just a quick handful of places that we see this. James 5.7 says, um, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power of that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Um, Romans 8, 18 through 25, these verses are like huge in just the entire theology of Paul. So much of what we get from what our Christian life should look like comes from these verses right here. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's a glory that will be revealed to us in the future, and the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. A few verses later, it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Right, Paul compares us as Christians. What our life is, is this groaning, like a woman who is pregnant, like Mary with Jesus in her womb. What our Christian lives are is that groaning and that waiting until the birth of, 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 of Jesus here in this space in flesh again. There's so many more. There's 2 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 1, Titus 2. There's so many other places where this is affirmed again and again and again. The Christian life, what is the Christian life? It's a season of waiting and longing and looking forward to this coming of Jesus. And in Advent, that's exactly what we're doing. We're celebrating that. At one point, we waited and Jesus came. And now we still wait and Jesus is going to come. Um, I really wanted to do two things this morning. First, just talk about the premise of waiting. What we're doing in Advent is recognizing that we wait for this thing as Christians in our Christian life, just as the people before us waited for Christ to come. So I want to talk about this waiting. The second thing I want to talk about is like, what are we waiting on? All right, we're not just here waiting for the sake of waiting because it's like good for us. We're waiting on something. So that's the second part that I want to talk about. But in this in-between points, I just want to emphasize and clarify a couple things that I mean when I say that we're waiting. 
Um, the Greek words that are translated in the verses that I just read to like wait, waiting, await, they are prostakao, apekdekomai, and ekdekomai. Those are examples. You don't need to know those. I just want to show off. Um, I hope you're impressed. <laughs> um, but they're these words. There's different words in different forms. And they, we use them as wait, but they don't just mean that we are waiting. Um, when we use our English word wait, we are saying something that we're doing in the meantime, and we don't know if that thing will happen. You could hypothetically wait on something for forever. Like the word wait does not imply that you will receive the thing you're waiting for in English. These words, however, they are better um, described as not just waiting, but you are expecting, you are looking forward to, you're waiting for eagerly, you're anticipating, right? What we're doing in this Christian life is we are not simply just waiting in the meantime, but we are anticipating something to happen. There's a certainty that we have in the thing that we are waiting on. And I, when I say this, I know myself years ago would hear that and would say, okay, I need to become more confident in my faith that Jesus is going to come then in order for me to anticipate this. That's what I'd have heard. And I don't want anyone to hear that. Because what I'm saying is not that what is confident is our faithfulness and our waiting. What is confident is the faithfulness of the one that's going to come. That's where the confidence is. You do not need to be better at waiting. You do not need to be more faithful in your waiting. That does not dictate whether or not this thing is going to happen. Mary did not need to be confident that Jesus was going to come. Mary waited, and Jesus came because Jesus was always going to come, right? We, in this period, we wait. We anticipate, and the reason we do that is because we know that the one that is going to come is faithful. We are not. It's not us. It is the faithfulness of the one that is to come. Do not leave here thinking you must now be better believers in this time period. Leave here thinking what a gift it is that we have to anticipate something because the one that is coming is faithful. Um, so during this Advent season, we reflect on this continued season of waiting. We reflect on the fact that we're in this meantime, that things are slowed, things are rooted. We're waiting for this other thing to happen. But all the while, we're also energized and we're expectant and we're anticipatory because of the thing that's going to happen. That's where we're at. Um, and so now we kind of can come to this last little question of, well, what's the thing that we're waiting on? Like, yes, Christ coming back is this thing that we're waiting on. Um, but what does it mean? This is very similar to like um, when the fact that Christ was born, that wasn't, um, that wasn't everything, right? This Christ, the incarnation, when Christ was first born, there were big material changes that happened because of it. That's what Brandon spoke about last week. And just like that is the truth, so is the truth that we are not just waiting on Christ to return and be here. We're waiting on the fact 
that there's real material change that will happen when he returns. So what is that? What is that material change? We find the answer to that in the book of Revelation, um, in the scripture that Dana read for us this morning. The book of Revelation, it really culminates in this vision for all of creation, um, this vision of the ultimate new creation, this merging of heaven and earth. Um, they describe it as this, this new Jerusalem. Um, and we look at that for this vision of what we are anticipating for. Um, Revelation is this apocalyptic book. I'm sure you all have picked up on that. I'm sure you don't read this and you're like, that feels normal. Um, no, it's apocalyptic. It's very symbolic. And so in, in that, in that reality, when we read it, we're reading this with this eye of like symbolism. We're reading it with like, oh, that thing that they're saying, it doesn't just mean that that's the literal reality of this is the blueprint of what this thing's going to look like. It means, oh, like that is what matters. Things like this are what matter. Um, and so what we want to do this morning, what I'm going to do is I am going to read a lot of text and in it, it's going to describe from like a very high level to a small, small level of like what is this future kingdom? What is this material reality? What is this thing that um, will change and transform in Jesus coming back to earth that we're sitting and waiting and, anticip and anticipating? I did not put the text on the screen. And I did this intentionally, so I, I want to encourage y'all. What we're reading is all of Revelation 21 and the first five verses of Revelation 22. Um, if you're a super visual learner, there's a Bible in front of you. You can get it out. You can use your phone, um, and the text will be there. However, I also encourage you to just really like listen and picture what I'm saying, because this whole point is to describe a space that gives you this feeling of what is to come. So I'm gonna read it. You can just think about what that looks like and what that would feel like and what that would mean. Also though, there is a Bible and you can use your Bible app as well if you'd like to see it. Um, and when I go through this, it will start at this big high, high view of like heaven and earth merging and then it'll get a little bit lower and you'll look at like, well this is kind of what the city looks like from above. Then it'll get a little lower and I'll be like, oh, these are the materials that the city's built with. Then it'll get a little bit lower and I'll be like, oh, this is what's in the city. Then it'll get a little bit lower and be like, oh, this is what's happening like through the city. So that's kind of the trajectory of where we're gonna move. So, so that it doesn't just sound like super crazy the whole time. That's kind of the direction. All right, we're gonna start. Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he's going to see the city. He's going to see the city. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So now we're going to move in a little more. Now we're going to look at what are the details of the structure. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. It's a perfect cube. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was gold, like transparent glass. Moving a little further in, what's inside of it? And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no light there, or no night there. They will bring into it glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, now we're going to look at what is the thing that is traveling through the middle of the city. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Good job, everybody. That was a lot. Um... There's a ton in here, 
There's a ton of description. So what we're going to finish with is just going through and identifying, like, this is what's being told to us in that scripture. This is the, the place that we're saying that we're waiting on. This is the real, um, like, forever material change that Jesus will be bringing into this world. The first big thing that we notice is that what we're waiting on is a city. It's a place where there are, are people. Um, and not just a place where there are people, but um, a city is a place where people are dependent upon people. Um, it's not a place of isolation or hyper, hyper-independence. Um, the ultimate kingdom is a place where uh, many people are concentrated together and where life um, exists amidst and relies upon one another. This city is so based on, on people that the names of, of every tribe is um, put above each of the gates. Um, the number 12 is used throughout the whole entire thing, right? You have like, there's 12 different jewels. All of the measurements are, um, like one was 144, like a square of 12. One was 12,000. Like 12 is everywhere in this. And the number 12 is completely, like completely connotes the um, people of God all the way back from when God said that there would be 12 tribes of Israel, all the way to the 12 apostles of the church. 12 is the number for people, and the city is littered with it. The next thing is it's not just a city um, like we know today, but it's a fully renewed and redeemed city. The picture that John gives us is one that doesn't get rid of something and bring in something else. The picture is one where what is existing is made new. Um, John says that God will make all things new. He's not making all new things. And so what this city is, is one that, rep- that reflects the fact that humanity exists and has existed, and our history and our trauma and our tragedy and our brokenness matters and it's reflected, but it's also fully redeemed. This city, this renewed city, is also an inclusive city. It is incredible how inclusive this city is based on this scripture. Um, Ezekiel 3727 is this famous verse that says, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Um, And John uses that exact phrasing. However, he changes people to peoples. John intentionally makes this city and says, or John intentionally says that this city is going to be inclusive. It will include peoples. Not just God's people that we know, but also the peoples. Um, In chapter 22, verse 2, and in chapter 21, at the very close, we see twice the reference of nations. Anytime you see nations, nations is talking about non-Israelites, not people of God, people who are not in God's covenant family, everyone outside. And yet, twice we see it say, first, that the uh, tree of life, this fruitful tree of life, it will be for the healing of the nations. The nations will be present, and there's something there on their behalf. The other time we see it is when it says, the nations shall walk in the light of the glorious city and bring glory and honor into it. This is a place where 
people from outside of traditionally God's people will enter and bring glory and honor into the city. That is what John is saying here. There are 12 gates in this city, and these gates are never closed. Gates were meant to keep people out. They were for protection, right? These walls, these gates, and cities were meant in order to allow specific people in and specific people out. In this city, it says explicitly, the, wall, the gates on these walls are never closed. They are only open, and the only thing noted about entering and exiting is that people in their glory will come in. Things aren't pushed out, things aren't left, but it is used for things to come in. This city is renewed and redeemed, and it is also incredibly inclusive. It is there in order to be open and to let people in. And while it is this city of openness and inclusivity, it is still also somehow completely holy. It is consistently referred to as holy. The city that is to come will be holy. Um, when we hear holy, we've, uh, pretty much any time I feel like any of us on the stage say holy, we're like, trigger warning, we don't mean um, moral correctness when we say holy. Um, when we say holy, what it really means is like it is set apart. It is separate. It is totally other from anything else. So this city, this holy city, is something completely different and completely separate. Um, it is, the city is so holy that there's no temple there. What the temple was meant for was to hold God's holiness, like the earthly temple, that's why it was built, was to hold God's holy, holiness so that God's presence could be amongst the people and they would be safe with it. This says God will be totally and fully there, holiness will be there, it will be present, and yet there is absolutely no temple. There's nothing to separate in this kingdom to come, God's holiness in us, because holiness is in the DNA of everything that's existing. We're in it and we're with it the whole time. However, because the city is fully holy, it is still somehow separated and set apart from what's outside of it. And we see that when it is contrasted from this lake of fire that's outside of it. This reality that there's tears and death and sorrow and crying. John says there's no more of that. You're separated and you're set apart from that. What is outside of the space in the city is this lake of, of fire. You don't experience tears, you don't experience death, you don't experience sorrow. It also says there's no sea, means there's no chaos, there's no destruction. There's nothing that is uncreating the world anymore. And there's no curse. This entire thing falls with the fact that there's no curse. Humans are, are freed from this curse. There's freedom from death. There's freedom um, from sin. There's freedom from hurt and pain and oppression and everything that comes with all of these things. Um, that is what this city is. That is what this kingdom is, is to come. Um, that's what we're waiting on today here. Um, when we are hurting, during this holiday season, when we're longing, when we're waiting, 
when we're groaning, uh, remind ourselves that what we are doing is we, just like Mary once did, we're longing for this ultimate coming of something bigger and something greater. We're longing for this very real material change that is to come one day and to transform the world. And as Brandon said last week, to fully and totally rearrange the space that we're living in now. During Advent, when we feel that natural waiting um, for whatever it is, when I'm waiting for the last day to come before Christmas break, I can remind myself that that feeling is like a, a feeling of um, the Christian life. That feeling is, is one that unites us with our Christian ancestors. It unites us with Mary. It also unites us with every person around us right now as we sit and we long for the um, you know, entrance of Jesus into our world again today um, in this city that will be to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this vision of what's to come. We thank you for the fact that it's good, the fact that it's right, the fact that it's true, and we thank you for your faithfulness and your arrival. Help us feel spiritually nurtured during this Advent season when we feel pangs of longing, of waiting, when we feel excitement, anticipation, expectation. Help that in turn nourish, help that in turn nurture our spiritual life and our hearts and our spirit for you. Help us be a church that does everything that they can to bring that city here and now. Help us be a church that feels freedom in our waiting because of your abounding faithfulness. Let us be expectant. Let us be patient. And let us be united with each other as well as with all of our Christian ancestors during this time of waiting and of longing. Help the reality of um, this kingdom sink into our hearts, sink into the space that we take up, and help us during this Christmas season um, to just see it more clearly and to think about it more adeptly and to love people and help bring it here better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.